0: The Alchemical Tech Revolution is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor by Spotify. That's anchor.fm. Hi, folks. This is Wayne McCroy, host of the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast. I'm here to tell you tonight about Anchor. Anchor is one of the best podcast distribution apps out there. Uh, They offer various ways to create, distribute, and monetize your podcast, all for free, and they have some of the best built-in uploading, recording, and editing tools available in the industry. From start to finish, they can help you to set up your podcast. So if you are interested in starting a podcast, check out Anchor.fm. Or if you are already a podcaster and you're looking for distribution solutions for your podcast, check out Anchor.fm.
1: Come with me.
0: You're listening to The Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McRoy. Tonight, we're going to explore uh, what I'm going to start as a three-part series here into the topic of unseen forces. And we're going to read this directly from a book written by Mr. Manley P. Hall. Uh, He's quite the uh, arbiter of information, uh, within the, the last century. Uh, he was held up as one of the premier occultists of the 20th century and as such he has written quite a number of books uh, aimed specifically at initiates of the various secret orders. So uh, a lot of these uh, books that he's written and the information he's put forward is not intended for the quote-unquote profane. So uh this is a lot of these uh, secrets of the ages that these people espouse so much so we're going to look at this in order to better understand uh, the belief systems of those in positions of power in this world so it's important that we explore these ideas and look at uh, these different topics in order to uh, uh, further our own occult education into these things so that we understand exactly what it is that these people in positions of power Uh, what it is that they believe and these things that they act upon so that we have a better understanding of why our world is in the shape that it's in and how exactly we got there and what their reasoning is behind this. So it's important that we look at these topics and and this series, it's going to be a three-part series. I'm going to divide up the book into three parts and we'll go through the whole thing because it's important that we lay down these foundations so that we could explore further and uh... when we explore further there's some other very important uh... aspects of this whole agenda uh... that will become much more clear as we get into uh... you know further uh, studies into these things and uh... i'm looking beyond this unseen forces uh... series that i'm doing now there's going to be other things because i found uh, many other uh, interesting uh, books that relate to these ideas and uh, kind of give you the insight into what goes through these people's heads uh, when they plan these different events that they do in the world and the reason why. And there are uh, some very dark occult powers at play in this world and we'll see that as we progress further down the line here but first we're going to do unseen forces because this will lay the groundwork uh for understanding better what it is that these controllers these people in positions of powers the you know the the ones in the power centers of this world the ones at the tops of these secret societies that actually run all the major businesses and corporations and governments of the world <coughs> These people, these uh, what I would call dark occultists behind the scenes who steer these things, this is the stuff that they believe. Excuse me, I had to clear my throat there for a second. So we're going to look at what it is that uh, they know that we don't. Okay, And uh, whether any of this stuff is true or not, what you need to understand is there's people in positions of power in this world that absolutely believe and act upon this information as being true and I do think that there is some amount of truth uh, at the core of a lot of what this is and this would be the reason why they've keep it kept it a secret from the masses at large for so long because if you understand the way these things operate, the way this works, then uh, you have a better opportunity uh, to steer your own destiny rather than have uh, your lives controlled in in various ways by these people that seek that power over you. So we're going to look at this factor because this is very important to understand these concepts. So uh, the title of this book is Unseen Forces Nature Spirits Thought Forms Ghosts and Specters The Dweller on the Threshold. This book was originally published in 1923 by Mr. Manley P. Hall, as stated earlier. And we're going to go into part one tonight of Unseen Forces. And we're going to read the first two chapters of the book in the introductory part here. And we'll start right here at the beginning. (coughs) Excuse me. The Children of the Elements. The ancient philosophers peopled the elements of nature with races and species of creatures unheard of by the average individual. The wise men of all ages have claimed that nature works through intelligent forces and not mechanical laws. Going to pause there, folks. That's an important distinction to make here. Okay, The wise men of all ages claimed that nature works through intelligent forces and not mechanical laws. Let's keep that in mind as we move on here. Back to the reading. Upon this hypothesis, we have built the doctrine of the nature spirits and elemental larvae. Paracelsus, the great Swiss Hermes and the greatest physician of modern times, has given us the most complete analysis of these strange creatures who live, move, and have their being unseen and unrealized by mortal man. We see their works, but have never learned to know the workers who, day and night, function through nature's finer forces. These elemental spirits may be divided into three groups. Number one, the elementals of the four elements, or ethers, which we commonly know as the nature spirits. Number two, the man-created elementals of the astral and mental planes. Number three, the dweller on the threshold, or the individual elemental the four elements. (coughs) According to the ancient doctrines, the tangible universe is composed of four principal elements. These four elements are under the rulership of the lords of form, who are sometimes referred to as the four-headed cherubim, the four-headed cherubim which stood at the gates of the Garden of Eden, the four-headed cherubim which, with its brother creation, knelt upon the mercy seat of the ark of the covenant the four beasts of the apocalypse the four aspects of the great assyrian sphinx the babylonian man bull all are symbolic of these four primal elements gonna pause there folks listen to this description this is they're talking about the four-headed cherubim this is also the vision that ezekiel had in the book of ezekiel uh, with the wheels within wheels Uh, This is what it's referring to here. These are the cherubim. These are elementals, okay? Let's uh, make that distinction here. Elementals. And when we start to see stories coming out about, quote-unquote, extraterrestrials and aliens and things of that nature, understand that those in the secret schools uh, are of the mindset and understanding that these are elemental beings, okay? Not so much, uh, say, aliens from other worlds. They exist around us. Our universe is more teeming with life than what we could possibly imagine or know. And this is what these people uh, know and keep secret from the masses. This kind of thing. Now, most people would probably look at this and think, okay, well, that's nonsense and hooey and fairy tales and all of that. But there are people in positions of power in this world that absolutely... 100 percent believe and act upon these ideas and uh you know there are a lot of the big players in this world so they understand an aspect of our world that we don't and just to say we don't see this thing or acknowledge that this thing exists it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist right so that's kind of why they act the way they act they've taught us to believe that this kind of stuff is nonsense but uh in uh, the secret uh, orders, they know about these things. Uh, many at the topmost pow- uh, spots of the, in the power structure understand that these different uh, beings, these um, entities, exist in one way, shape, or form, and they exist all around us. But it's a differentiation of what we can perceive compared to what they perceive. And we'll, we'll get there. Let's let's continue reading on, though. I don't want to babble too long on that idea (coughs) back to the reading from the beginning of time man has divided form into four basic essences these four essences are the basis of all things cognizable by human material body centers of consciousness all things superior to these four essences can be cognized only by spiritual vision all of the many complex forms which appear in this world as the products of the geometrical outpourings of the lords of form or the great bodybuilding divas are the expressions of four streams of life. These four are referred to as the rivers of life pouring out of the garden of the Lord and they have as their source the great creative hierarchy which the ancients referred to as the kings of Edom. Going to fa- pause there, folks. Four rivers. Uh, Remember, the Garden of Eden, the story of the Garden of Eden, how it had four rivers running through it. This is what it's referring to here. Anyway, back to the reading. Physical bodies are animated above cosmic root substance by these streams of life-giving ether. This ether is that part of the body of the universal logos, or something even higher, which we do not know, it says in parentheses here, which occupies the position of a carrier or container for it passes through itself in four streams the powers of the creative logos from its essences are extracted the four creative principles which at the present time are the basis of human, the human fourfold vehicle number one physical or dense number two etheric or watery number three astral or fiery and number four mental or airy and i'm gonna pause there folks remember those distinctions the first one says physical or dense which would be earth the earth elemental okay the elemental idea of earth the second was etheric or the watery idea third is astral or fiery the fire idea and fourth is mental or airy the air idea so we could see how this uh, whole thing's divided up into these four elemental type ideas. So, let's continue on. Excuse me for clearing my voice so much here. I'm fighting a little bit of a cold or something. Uh, It's been awfully cold outside here in Pennsylvania where I'm at. So, anyway, back to the reading. These four vehicles have been symbolized by the ancients as the arms of the cross, and they form the basis of the sacred doctrine of the crucifixion. Grouped together, these four being the primal basis of bodies are under the control of the body building qualities and signs known astrologically as the four fixed signs of the zodiac. There are three crucifixions in the zodiac, the cross formed of the four cardinal signs, the cross of the four fixed signs, and the cross of the four common signs. These in turn represent the three major crossings of the vital forces in the human body. The entire etheric world, with its many crossing currents, has its seat in the solar plexus and spleen of the human body. It is often referred to as the molten sea, or the laver of purification, for in its watery and liquid depth the soul of man has to be washed in its pilgrimage to immortality. These four elements are the basis of and the life behind the four physical material elements earth, fire, air, and water. The power from the unseen causal worlds works through the four material elements in order to express itself in bodies, cells, and molecular combinations. I'm gonna pause there, folks. Did you hear that? This is an important idea to keep in mind. The power from the unseen causal worlds. Keep that in mind, causal worlds, okay? They work together through the four material elements in order to express itself in bodies, cells, and molecular combinations. So these four classical elements that the alchemists spoke of and, uh, you know, uh, many of the early philosophers. This is what we're referring to, earth, fire, air, and water. Our modern science has really convoluted uh, this whole idea and broken it down into uh, just more, much more numerous things than uh, what these philosophical ideas represent. So uh, in so doing, they overly complicate things, but there's a different uh, control mechanism in play here that is not acknowledged by our modern scientific parlance. But anyway, back to the reading. As each kingdom in nature has a series of lives evolving through it, and each plane is a schoolroom of a great natural outpouring, so it is claimed that these four divisions of ether, expressing themselves in matter as the four elements, are inhabited by groups of intelligences evolving through the elemental essences. According to the ancients, these elementals are created solely out of one substance, the ether or element in which they exist. They have no compound body, and therefore are not capable of immortality, having no germinal life essence other than their respective elemental essence. On the other hand, being composed of only one substance, they are free from the destructive influences of the cross currents affecting compound bodies, and therefore live for many hundreds, some of them for thousands, of years as the active principles of the elemental essences classic literature contains many references to these elementals in pope's poem rape of the lock the elementals play the most important part in the Abbe de villers comte de gabalus a remarkable book there is a very exhaustive thesis on these strange people of nature they are of varying shapes and sizes according to their works and duties their bodies are of varying degrees of density according to the element in which they work okay gonna pause there folks so they claim that uh, we're basically we as human beings are compound bodies we contain all four of these uh, philosophical elements within our being within our physical being whereas they claim that these elemental spirits or these nature spirits they are only contain one, and that is why we cannot perceive them uh, under normal circumstances. They exist in an unseen world around us in a different, uh, a, a different uh, how would you say this, a frequency? Uh, a different frequency band from what we do? So we do not perceive them, yet they are around us. Let's continue on with the reading. Now this starts chapter 1. The Nature Spirits in the Elements Paracelsus and the Count de Gobelus divide the nature spirits into four general classes. Number 1 Gnomes, the earth spirits. Number 2 Undines, the water spirits. Number 3 Salamanders, the fire spirits. And number 4 Sylphs, the air spirits. And then it continues on here with the Gnomes. Under the general heading of Gnomes we find those creatures known as the Trixies, Hobgoblins, elves, Forestmen, Brownies, Dwarfs, Little Old Men of the Rocks, and many other similar titles. The Gnomes are the most dense of the nature spirits, and consequently are more subject to the laws of mortality. They live in the element of earth, and are said to work among the rocks and to some degree with trees and flowers. They are dwarf-like in stature, rather heavily built, with their garments growing as part of them. According to Paracelsus, they marry and have families, living in a strange world which the Norse people called Elfheim. They are said to have come out of the earth and to still penetrate it to the very core. They also live in caves and work with the molding of stalactites and stalagmites. These little people are often seen by children, who remain clairvoyant up to about the seventh year. In the forests, they are sometimes seen storing up provisions for the winter. They are a great band of busy little people who are given charge of the molding and forming of the earth. And under the direction of wiser ones, they have charge of all the solids, bones, and other tissues of the human body, working with them and restoring them. No bones that are broken would be set were it not for the assistance of the gnomes. Going to pause there, folks. Like I said earlier, if whether or not you believe any of this stuff, keep in mind there are people in positions of great power in this world that absolutely wholeheartedly believe this stuff. Uh, And whether a lot of these ideas that we're going over right here talking about things such as gnomes, whether this is, you know, an actual literal thing, or if this is just an allegory put forth by the author of this book to encapsulate some kind of a grander idea behind it, uh, that remains up for debate, but absolutely what we could agree upon Within this is he's talking about some kind of natural force, okay? And he his designation is that these natural forces that affect us and are around us have some sort of intelligence to them, and that's what we need to keep in mind. With this, is this describing verbatim a literal uh, being like a, a gnome or an elf or something? Probably not. In you know, in the way that we think or that we've been uh, conditioned to think of these things, it it probably operates much differently and uh, is is much different than how we would imagine it but anyway let's get back to the reading their king whom they obey and respect is called gob a name from which the word goblin is derived it is said that one of these elemental kingdoms dwells at each of the four corners of creation and the gnomes who work with the most crystallized of all elements, have been given the northern corner of creation as their home. The ancients said that the gnomes governed the secret treasures and hidden things of the earth, and that those who would seek for material treasures hidden in nature must first gain the support and assistance of the gnomes, who can at will either unveil them or so conceal them that they cannot be found. The gnomes are very miserly, greedy, and fond of good things to eat but on the other hand they work incessantly are very patient and faithful and in our world would be called steady and temperate occasionally they meet in great conclaves in the heart of some dark forest or among the rocks and from them came the wonderful story of rip van winkle in the legend of sleepy hollow they serve mankind all the time striving to assist him in his work They are a busy little people and play a great part in the development of man. They work intuitively through the elements and while they have a certain form of mentality, it is much less than ours. They are not capable of expressing or manifesting themselves through any substance except their own element, and the hypothetical ether pervading solid crystallized substances as the first etheric essence is the only substance in which the gnomes can function. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. Remember what I said? Yeah, I, I think this is more of an allegorical description of what they are. See how uh, Manly P. Hall here acknowledges that they have some certain form of mentality but it's much less than ours. So there's an intelligence behind these different pervasive ideas and that's kind of what he's getting to. So there are intelligent spirits of sorts behind these things and, uh, and guiding these natural forces. That's kind of what he's relating here. And it probably doesn't function much of how it, like how it's described here, per se. But uh, we need to be aware that this, this is a thing. So whether it's an apt description or not, who knows? Is it a little fanciful? Maybe. But uh, keep in mind that uh, there's something to it. In my view, I think there's something to these ideas. Anyway, back to the reading here certain types of gnomes dwell in old ruined castles. And this is one reason why old buildings are overgrown with vines and creepers, for they are eternally seeking to beautify nature. They work in rocks and corals under the sea, and also with the shellfish. Some of them attain great size. Others have the power of changing size at will, as long as they remain in their own substance. The majority of them are much smaller than human beings. The gnomes are not Prepossessing in appearance but usually resemble deformed dwarfs rather thick set with large heads and they have a strange waddling gait since they dwell in the darkness and gloom the gnomes are said to have a certain effect upon human disposition and to govern the saturnine melancholia gloom and despondency gonna pause there folks uh he's relating the saturnian idea uh with the gnomes here okay let's move on that was the end of the description for the gnomes next the undines under the classification of undines are the nymphs, naiads, mermaids sirens, harpies, sea daughters and sea goddesses of the ancients they are the elementals whose home is in the water and they are said to live in the oceans, lakes streams and rivers of the earth incidentally they govern the liquids and vital forces of the human body As the gnomes represent the sign of Taurus in the zodiac, so the undines represent Scorpio, having to do with the life and vital forces of nature. They are reputed to be very beautiful, and in their realm beauty seems to be the keynote of power. They have many qualities similar to the gnomes, for they dwell in a world of their own. They are generally considered to be amicable and fortunate, and serve man in the spirit of love and sincerity. Like the gnomes, they have their own rulers, who are supposed to be individuals of an unusual degree of superiority. Their supreme ruler, Nexa, they obey and reverence very highly. All of these beings have a knowledge of God, revere Him, and seek to obey Him in every way. The Undines have been given the western corner of creation, and are said to whisper sometimes through the west wind, which is the medium of their power. They work with creatures, with the creatures living in the sea and are and also are said to have an important part in the production of rain. Medieval philosophers, especially Paracelsus, held the belief that storms were caused by battles between the nature spirits, that the crossing of their qualities resulted in great disturbances in the heavens, which we know as storms and upheavals. The Undines are of about the same size as human beings, are usually of great beauty, and generally symbolized as maidens draped in sea foam, or riding on the seahorses, or as mermaids with the tails of fishes. The undines, being composed of a subtler essence and a finer quality of ether, live much longer than the gnomes, but they are also subject to the laws of mortality. They are especially interested in plants and flowers, probably because the etheric double of the plant is of the same type of ether as their own. The undines are of a cheerful disposition, and their emotions are vital rather than astral, in quality. Being vital in temperament, they exercise considerable influence upon the vital temperament of human beings. And a pause there, folks. Now, he's talking about undines, or or the water spirits here, okay? And it is said that... uh, They're represented in the zodiac by Scorpio and the uh, earth spirits or the gnomes are represented by Taurus. You see how this all ties back to the sky clock too? There's so much encoded there. Uh, There's these four different quadrants of the sky associated, three of the uh, zodiacal signs associated with each element and uh, this is what this is pointing out here to some degree or another and we, we can know some more things about this by exploring uh the astrological significances of these signs and we could equate these different ideas uh to these elemental type ideas so there's see how they have layers uh, all of this stuff has layers of information folded within it you could know things this is the process of alchemy okay this is the the uh, this is alchemical thought at work here how you could build these different ideas one on top of another. Like you could take the elemental form of water equate it back to the sky clock to the uh, the aspects of Scorpio uh, relate it to these spirit beings these undines and various different things in this world. You see different parts of the human body it's all very much layered together and this is uh, a lot of the ideas and stuff that, that are kept secret from humanity because Many of these things have been tried and true and tested through the ages by the philosophers and alchemists of old. And uh, these ideas have held up through time. But our modern scientific world would view this stuff as being utter nonsense. See, they come up with uh, alternative descriptions of how these things work. So, anyway, let's get back to the reading. That was the end of what... Manley P. Hall had written here about the Undines. Now we move on to the Salamanders. <clears throat> the ancients highly honored the Salamanders, calling them the Kings of the Fire, because of their flaming appearance, their great strength and power, and the important part they played-or, sorry, the important part played by them in human affairs no spark or fire can be lighted upon the face of the earth without the assistance of a salamander, for they are the spirits of the fire. Those able to study the phenomena clairvoyantly can see these great fire kings twisting and turning in the flames, especially during a great conflagration. Many of the ancients believed these fire salamanders to be gods, and even claimed that their great emperors were the children of these fire kings. The salamanders have charged of the emotional essences of man and they live in the third ether which reflects the qualities of the astral plane or the world of fire. They vary in shape and size and are sometimes seen as crawling creatures of fire. They were known to the ancients as great giants in flaming armor who soar through the essences of of that quality. They are very closely connected with every sacred organization that has fire upon its altar, and there is little doubt that they are the flame giants of Scandinavia. They are especially fond of incense, the fumes of which enable them to take on certain forms of bodies. The salamanders are the strongest and most dynamic of the elementals. There is a great similarity between them and the Lucifer angels and also the great fire divas of India. Going to pause there, folks. Listen carefully. There is great similarity between them and the Lucifer angels and also the great fire divas of India. Back to the reading. In volcanoes and the fire strata of the earth, they are said to have their homes and to wield their authority. Their flaming king, called Jin... Gonna pause there. Jin. Did you hear that? What else do we know that's called Jin or Genie? This is this one and the same thing that they're talking about here. Okay? Well anyway, back to it. I'm gonna read that again. Their flaming king called Jin is a glorious being fierce of mean and awe inspiring, who rules them with a rod of flame. Though dangerous to human life, the salamanders, when properly understood, are great benefactors. They are hasty of action, tempestuous and emotional, but very energetic. Some of them assume tremendous proportions and resemble the giants of prehistoric times, while others are small and barely visible to the eye. Their home is said to be in the south, and they are felt in the warm winds of the equator. Their temperament is sanguine and... They exert a certain effect upon all individuals with that temperament. If this sanguine quality is allowed to become the controlling power in life, the salamanders working through it bring upon all whom they influence tempestuous natures, fiery temperaments, and uncontrollable passions. Because of the great subtlety of their element they are seldom seen. They live to great age, many existing for thousands of years before they finally dissolve back into nothingness in their element. Going to pause there, folks. That's another key distinction that they make here, is these uh, elemental beings, they do not have an immortal soul like you and I do. Uh, They have a very finite lifespan, and uh, that's... One of the things we'll see later as we get further into these type of studies when we look at uh, different magical systems and things of that nature, that's one of the reasons why these beings are jealous of humanity or try to achieve um, this quality of becoming human in certain ways, and we'll get there later in a later series from here. But these ideas are foundational for me to lay down first before you could see how it all works together and what exactly uh, a lot of different things mean. And we'll we'll get to there, there at some point. But right now we have to finish laying down the foundations here. So we'll get through uh, this unseen forces study first. Anyway, back to the reading. So I'm going to repeat that again. The last sentence here, before we move on to the next part. They live to great age, many existing for thousands of years before they finally dissolve back into nothingness in their element. Next part. The Sylphs. The inhabitants of the fourth ether, the finest and highest of all, are called the Sylphs, or air spirits. We also know them as the Riders of the Night, the Windborn, the Storm Angels, the Air Divas, the mind-born, and many other similar names. The ancients believed their homes to be in the clouds. Deeper study, however, has proved that this group of elementals, who include the fairies and all those creatures with irides- iridescent wings referred to in children's stories, really have their homes up on the mountaintops rather than in the air itself. The sylphs live and have their being in their own ether and, like the gnomes, propagate and perpetuate themselves in a world of their own, building their air castles out of that subtle element which is the reflector of the mental plane. Going to pause there, folks. That's an important idea. The air, the idea of air being the reflector of the mental plane. This indicates reflection, as in a mirror darkly, you see... uh, when, when you hear that kind of in a, uh, a statement or, or something of that nature, this is the kind of idea that it's talking about, a reflection of the mental plane. This is a reflection of thought. The idea of the element of air is the reflection of thought and refers directly to mind. And this ties back to the hermetic principle of mind as well, how uh, mind uh, preconceives everything and how we can affect our reality just through thought and observation and that's kind of been proven out in you know different quantum research and things of that nature Uh, so anyway not to ramble too long about that but uh, back to the reading here so we say uh let me find my place yeah, that subtle element, the uh, reflector of the mental plane. Okay, there we go, I found it. They vary in appearance, some resembling human beings, but with slightly different proportions. They are said to be very mirthful, changeable, and eccentric. They are capricious and inconstant, darting hither and thither. They are always busy, and work especially, well with the thoughts of living creatures. They assist in the air elements of man's body, such as the gases and ethers which are generated in his own being. Well, the salamanders work through the human blood and the fire elements of the body. Going to pause there, folks. Do you see how they once again tie many of these ideas back to human physiology again? And uh, this is going to be important later for us to understand the fire elementals the salamanders they work through the human blood okay and this uh, equates to many different ideas um, you know in different esoteric and occult type topics so we see here that the salamanders work through the human blood Uh, the sylphs, or the air elementals, work through the gases and ethers in the human body. So the air, the lungs, these kind of ideas. Uh, The water elementals, the undines, work through, they say, the spleen or the molten sea. You see, uh, these kind of ideas, it all equates back to the human body as well. As above, so below. The hermetic idea comes into effect here. Once again, we could see the layered ideas here. So if you have... uh, this concept of the the four basic philosophical elements. And you could relate all this stuff back to just those four things. Well, there's a wealth of information just contained in those four ideas. See? And, and that's kind of how uh, the ideas of alchemy have held up through many years. But this is also why they keep this stuff secret. They don't want people to really have a basic understanding of this. So because if you do, it works up many more possibilities in the world around you. You understand better what's going on. You can know more about something at just a simple glance than you would otherwise, if you understand these different ideas. So if you see the concept of blood, that relates to the elemental idea of fire, okay? And this will be important. This also relates back to the idea of the soul, okay? So blood, fire, the soul. These all relate, and we'll get there at some point, but uh, right now we're going to continue with this study. The leader of the sylphs is called Peralda, who is said to dwell on the highest mountain of the earth. The sylphs are powerful and have much to do with the building of all things in which air is an important factor. And I'm going to pause there, folks, and as we are... Entering firmly into the age of Aquarius, the ideas of these air elementals will become more and more important. So we'll see uh, how a lot of these things are going to become uh, more, uh, how should we say, prominent within our society. Uh, We're talking about different mental type ideas because the air is associated with the mind. So things related to mind uh, will be the most important things coming up here. Anyway, back to the reading. The next 2,000 years will be an air age. See, I'm going to pause there, folks. I didn't even read that far ahead. Um, This is what we're talking about. (coughs) See how it all relates and ties together? Back to the reading. The next 2,000 years will be an air age. The influence of the sylphs will be especially evident and the conquest and analysis of their element will have a great deal to do with the discovery of these latent and concealed facts. Going to pause there, folks. See, we're, we're coming upon these times of revelation. Okay, uh, All these things will be revealed to us. And I, I believe firmly this is what's going on. All these old ideas that were hidden from us Uh, within these secret schools and uh, secret societies, all these ideas will be coming forward again, and things will start to make more sense to us as we go forward here. Back to the reading, though. The ancients claimed that wars, plagues, fires, earthquakes, and other cataclysms were caused by great armies of elements who fought and battled in nature marching in militant array against each other. Thus thunder and lightning were said to be caused by battles between the sylphs and salamanders, while rains and tidal waves were caused by the sylphs and undines. Movement of bodies in the earth, landslides, and internal rumblings were said to be caused by inharmony between the salamanders and the gnomes. The salamanders hang over battlefields generated out of the explosions of gunpowder. They also feed upon human passion as great armies of red flaming creatures obsessing the mind of man and expressing through the prospective ethers in his body. The four groups, gnomes, undines, salamanders, and sylphs, form the natural inhabitants of the etheric elements. Their labor is carried on through what is called the humidity body of the earth and the planetary logos, and also their corresponding poles in the body of the individual. In addition, there are several other groups of elementals, some natural phenomena, and others caused by man. Among these, may be mentioned thought and emotion elementals, ghosts, specters, the dweller on the threshold, and larvae. The latter group, known also as etheric shells, are the etheric bodies of individuals who in passing out at death have gone on to the astral plane, casting off their etheric body soon after the physical form. They leave it behind in the ethers, where it slowly disintegrates, these shells, are the basis of a great percentage of mediumistic manifestations and can be detected only through an examination of the eyeballs of the medium. Shells are often used by elementals and by larvae as vehicles of manifestation for a short time as they float around in the ethers in the process of disintegration. On account of the fine structure of the ethers, It often takes many years for disintegration to take place. Hence, there is a great host of etheric bodies floating around like chips of driftwood on the sea of etheric humidity, left by their former owners who have passed on to other worlds. Gonna pause there, folks. This is one plausible explanation for things like ghosts and uh, specters, things of that nature. They're saying that these are the cast-off etheric bodies of those who've passed on to other planes or other worlds. Okay, that in in death, see, when we cast off this mortal coil or this physical body, uh, we also, in so doing, at some point, cast off the etheric body as well. And we leave it behind in the etheric plane as a shell. And that, uh, that etheric shell floating around can be... uh, used as a vessel of manifestation for many of these elemental uh, types of beings or spirits. And that's, that's what he's saying here. So, uh, is there some plausibility to this? Who knows? Perhaps there is. But, not to, uh, you know, linger too long on that idea, let's get on to chapter 2 here. And we're going to finish up through chapter 2. And uh, that'll be the end of Part 1 after we're done with Chapter 2, because we need to get through uh, some of these other ideas here before we close it up tonight. (coughs) Chapter 2. Natural Principles The nature spirits are sometimes visible to the human eye, but can be managed or ruled only by those who are perfect rulers of the elements elements in which these elementals live. Man's mastery of the elements therefore gives him rulership over these kingdoms. According to the ancients, the elementals were originally under the dominion of the Adamic man, and are always under the dominion of the man or creature who is master of their element. The elementals serve sincerely, though they do not realize or recognize the needs of the race they serve. Under the wise guidance and assistance of higher hierarchies, these creatures are the intelligent basis of natural phenomena and assist in the implanting of qualities and powers in plant, mineral, animal, and man. Many readers may not care to accept the reality of these creatures. But as they form part of the great occult hierarchy and are the incarnation of natural principles, it is necessary that we give them a certain amount of attention and study. i going to pause there, folks. That's my assessment, too. I think we need to give it thought and study. Uh, whether you want to accept that there's any kind of a, uh, a literal living being uh, as the intelligence behind these natural forces or not, Um, it's still worthy of study but anyway back to the reading under certain conditions these elementals have attached themselves to man and served him faithfully and well as in the case of the daemon of socrates under other conditions they have been mistaken for angels demons and other supernatural larvae they are said also to exist in essence in the chemicals of nature There are elementals not only of our earth and scheme of things, but also of other planets and solar systems. There are star and sun elementals, the primary difference between elementals and man, is that the evolving kingdoms of which we are a part consist of complex organisms composed of spirit and its chain of vehicles, while the only substance in the composition of the elementals is the one ether from which they are formed. The only evolution they can experience is in the compound evolution of their own ether, from which they cannot dissociate themselves." Practically all the occult wisdom of the world is based upon the knowledge of the four ethers and their power as factors in the unfoldment of form combinations. The ethers in the bodies of the mineral, plant, animal, and man are the basis of the differentiation of kingdoms without their vital principle, and it says in parentheses here, which is in truth the Hiram Abiff of masonry. The temple building of the ages could not go on among the ancient oriental peoples the doctrine of the four creations taught that from the body of brahma the concentrated deity four children were born these four children represent the visible races of the earth from the feet of brahma was born the black man or the physical earth from which has been referred to as the footstool of god from the thorax of brahma was born the brown man who represents the ether or ethereal outpouring of nature from the hands of brahma with their power of action was born the red man who represents the principles of motion and emotion construction and destruction action and reaction from the mouth of brahma was born the white man the brahmin the spiritual and mental man These four elements just described constitute the four outpourings from the cosmic egg. The Orientals sometimes divided the universe into five divisions symbolized by the five fingers of the human hand. The fifth division is from the forehead to the top of the head. The evolution of man consists in the passage of his consciousness through the four elements which we find so wonderfully symbolized in the ancient initiations. Going to pause there, folks. They're talking about the evolution of man. It consists of his passage of consciousness through the four elements. See, that's why, you know, there's going to be... uh, Sometime soon, they're going to... We'll see in this world many things will change uh, because they'll have to admit at some point that uh, the concept of ether is a reality and that there could be no manifestation uh, without this ether as the... uh, the kind of substrate of our reality um, and this will totally change the way uh, that uh, energy is is brought to people it, it, this is the uh, free energy idea so we'll see here and this also represents the evolution of man uh, into say a higher higher vibration per se uh, through the four elements to the fifth element the ether But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I don't want to babble too long on that idea. But let's get back to the reading. First initiation, the slaying of the dragon of matter. This is the victory of the discrimination over the vehicle of Maya and the liberation from the chemical substances of nature with, with their corresponding law of crystallization. This also consisted in passing physically through a stone wall and overcoming the law of inertia. This battle was won by means of the sword Excalibur, which is given to the king out of the waters of the vital ether by the hand of the Undine. I'm going to pause there again. Do you see the many layers of meaning in a lot of these different tales and stuff now too when you, you realize some of these basic core principles here? Anyway, back to the reading. Second initiation, the rescue of the Pearl of Great Price from the Ocean of Living Substances. This Rheingold is regarded or sorry, this Rhine gold is guarded by the angels and the keepers of the vital forces of the body. Under the direction of the second group of elementals, already described as water spirits, are the vital forces of nature which they manipulate under the direction of higher hierarchies. This second initiation is accomplished by burning up the water with the flaming sword of the four-headed cherubim, which is turned upward into the brain. In this, the candidate learns to cast the molten sea and receive the benediction of the holy water, which represents the vital forces of his own body, after which he passes under the sea and learns to solve... The mystery of water which is born out of the thorax of Brahma. Going to pause there, folks. This is one of the key aspects to what uh, many of these Freemasonic fraternities and these uh, different Rosicrucian-type fraternities and uh, many of these other secret societies, this is one of the keys to what they believe. You see, they, they put their focus on this fire idea Uh, overcoming and combining with the water idea and it's it's relating to this this physical idea of the human body as well Uh, this is what they would call um, the priesthood of Melchizedek okay this combining of the the water idea with the fire idea okay the mind uh, with the spiritual idea this combination mastering that would make you of the priesthood of Melchizedek or uh, the Order of Melchizedek, which Manly P. Hall relates to us in other writings, is the highest order of all of these secret brotherhoods. Uh, so this is the idea behind these uh, quote-unquote philosophers of fire. This is what they believe, that uh, through using these these fire ideas and these mental ideas, they could achieve this, this higher goal uh, to become illumined or illuminated, uh, per se, and uh, Evolve beyond being just a mere human and, you know, become immortal and uh, their soul uh, moves forward into higher realms. But that's neither here nor there. Let's get back to the reading. Third Initiation the passing of the flaming ring. In this, the candidate steps across the line between the two higher and the two lower elements in his effort to extract the soul from the animal body. This is told in the northern legend of Siegfried and Brunhilde. The candidate receives the benediction of fire, incorporates the power of the salamanders into his conscious vehicle, and comes under the direct ray of the lion Leo, the fire king of the temple. He learns to pass through flame and also to rule the flames in his own body. During this process, he learns to apply the gentle heat of the alchemist, which, passing up the spine, hatches the egg of Brahma within himself, loosening the serpent from its coil and turning its fire upward to the tree of life. Under this heading, he takes the first mystic degree. If he remains here, he becomes a mystic, and a power of the heart path of flame, and dons the crimson robe of Christ. Going to pause there, folks. You know, you remember... Um, when we were talking about uh, the ideas of the spinal fires and and things of that nature in one of these uh, previous uh, books that I read through, well, here it is again. And uh, this is uh, a type of initiation. And they relate this idea back to the physical form of man, back to the the human body. And uh, they they firmly believe that... uh, the internal fires of man can lead him to enlightenment through the process of uh, yeah, the, raising the brazen serpent, uh, per se. And that would be, uh, you know, uh, the opening of the third eye and the, the opening of your mind and, and uh, using your creative force in a mental way uh, rather than a physical way. And, and this is a type of initiation and it's also a type of ascension that they see. This is what they would say, illumination. Anyway, back to the reading. Fourth initiation. In this test, the candidate gains the power of passing consciously through the atmosphere and incorporates into his vehicle the active functioning power of the sylphs, or air spirits. He gains the power of reading the atmospheric record of nature and also the power of conscious functioning on the fourth plane of nature through the assistance of the fourth elemental essence within himself. In the Norse myths, he rides the eight-footed horse to heaven. The eight, for many ages, being symbolic of the path of the spirit fire in man. Going to pause there. Eight. Remember the number eight. Remember that relates back to Mercury um, and these different types of ideas. And it's also representative of the spirit fire in man. Back to the reading. He thus combines these four elements... In the power of mind, which is made available by the fourth ether and is the highest form of consciousness which we have at the present time. going to pause there, folks. Remember, we're entering into the age of air. This is their plan for, well, all of humanity that they plan on letting enter into this new age. And that's not for the profane, folks. They have no place for the profane in their new age. But they see themselves... Uh, being ascended in this air age, and that's exactly why they're pushing the whole transhumanist notion. Uh, They think they could achieve it with the use of technology, uh, combined with these different alchemical and older philosophical ideas. Um, Anyway, back to the reading. All these initiations are possible only through the interpenetration of the elemental essences within the organism of man. During these initiations, he gains mastery over the elements and the various groups of intelligences which inhabit them. In our present work, we are considering only one of these groups of inhabitants, namely the nature spirits. Briefly stated, the elements are as follows, beginning with the lowest. number 1. Basic Atomic Ether the gnomes expressing its highest phase in crystallization. Number two, the humidic ether, the undines expressing itself as the water of life, the divine mother Isis of all things. Gonna pause there, folks. Did you hear that? Isis. Isis is related to water ideas. Okay and the moon is related to Isis, the moon is related to water ideas. See once again you could feed these different layers into these very simple things. So if you think in in terms of these four philosophical elements you can know so very much about a thing just at a first glance if you understand These uh, connections that are made between all these things. So, anyway, Isis. Isis is the moon. Isis is the water spirit. has to do with watery ideas. Or, um, you know, more spiritual type ideas. Um, Magic. Things of that nature. Anyway, back to the reading. Number three. The astral ether, salamanders, expressing itself in all motion and sense perception. Number four. The mental ether, the sylphs. Expressing itself as the basis of memory, perception, and the reasoning intellect. Going to pause there, folks. Remember that. Sylphs. The air, elemental air, related with intellect. Okay? And we're entering the age of air. The age of intellect. Who can say? Let's get back to the reading. <clears throat> These four represent the channels for the expression of the forces of the four worlds of nature through which man is evolving at the present time. The ether is not the world itself, but is merely a substance capable of carrying or perpetrating that which is a product of another sphere. Ether was referred to by the ancients as the hypothetical mirror of eternity because it mirrors the worlds of nature into concrete form, vitalizing and impregnating this form with the sparks of life which it contains within itself. Gonna pause there, folks. Do you hear that? ether and like i had stated earlier uh, there's coming a point very soon in this age of air where mainstream science is going to acknowledge that this ether exists and what is this ether this ether is a hypothetical mirror of eternity because it mirrors the worlds of nature into concrete form see once again the the idea of look the looking glass um in a mirror darkly, the way we see things. Uh, The ether interpenetrates these different worlds and reflects these different ideas uh, in our concrete reality here. And uh, this is an important concept to to get your head around. Uh, So we're going to see in this new age coming um, many of these ideas unfolding within uh, the accepted uh, mainstream Uh, different things like this of course it will probably be presented in a wholly different way Uh, probably you know through the um, the guise of say extraterrestrials and you know different ideas such as that more so than what uh, you know the occultists acknowledge as being true but uh, that's neither here nor there let's get back to the reading we're almost done uh, for tonight so just bear with me here we're in the last section here so when the hand of the priest is lifted in benediction two fingers are raised and two are lowered the two lowered fingers represent the elements of earth and water the two raised fingers represent the elements of fire and air while the thumb represents the Akasa or spirit in this way, the priest gives the benediction of the four ethers, without which consciousness is impossible, and the influx of which is the basis of growth, redemption, and regeneration." And that's the end of chapter two there, folks. Uh, keep that in mind. Two fingers raised, two fingers lowered. The two lowered fingers represent the elements of earth and water, uh, which represents the more physical plane here. and. The uh, two raised fingers represent fire and air. The more lofty ideas, or the more spiritual realms. See, um, these four different ethers and uh, the, the thumb, it says, represents um, the akasa, or spirit. So you see the spirit has to pass through these four four elements to achieve enlightenment. And that's kind of what they're going for here. Um Anyway, that's what this thing says here. in this way, the priest gives benediction of the four ethers without which consciousness is impossible. So see, we could not have consciousness or exist in the way we do without four of these without all four of these philosophical ideas uh, inherent in our nature and in our human body and in our reality. see and this according to this text, there are different worlds which exist that consists solely of these single elements and uh, that our uh, world here the ether which binds it all together shows just reflections of these other worlds. Okay, So we could see these are all very lofty and interesting ideas and uh, as I said later, or actually earlier later on we will cover uh, what some of these ideas mean and uh, why There are those within many of these secret brotherhoods who, um, do very strange and mysterious things, um, which don't necessarily benefit, uh, those of us in the public, um, or, you know, very many of us, but suit their own needs and, you know, some of the things that they do, um. Reflect back on very many of these ideas that we are exploring here in this unseen forces series, and uh, we'll we'll do part two uh, next time of these uh, of the unseen forces uh, series here. And next time we will talk about thought forms and emotion elementals because that's where we will pick it up, and we will see. Many of the other ideas that come forward with this and how this relates to things like, say, magic or black magic, uh, different occult type ideas. And uh, we'll also see later on down the road when I uh, explore some different aspects of uh, these avenues of thought, we will see how uh, the dark powers that control our world uh, use these different ideas and forces And uh, some of the very sinister things that they do with these ideas and forces. And uh, how they uh, try to steer the public consciousness with these things. And the different things they do to acquire more occult power. And that's what it's about for a lot of these people. So anyway... Hope I didn't bore you too much here tonight. I hope it was an interesting read for everybody. And we will uh, see you next time for part two of Unseen Forces. Thanks for hanging out with me tonight, folks. Have a good night.